Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. As you are finding Joshua chapter 5, how do I want to say this? You ever got in a car with somebody before and they said, I don't know where we're going nor how we're going to get there. My first thought is, is you better buckle up, buttercup, because you may be going on a ride. I don't know where we're going tonight nor how we're going to get there, all right? So you pray. You pray, uh, led by the Holy Spirit of God tonight, and we'll do just exactly what He wants us to do. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 begins. When it came to pass... When all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by uh, the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. And at the time the Lord, at the time... Excuse me. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee a sharp, uh, sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him a sharp knife, made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers uh, that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up uh, in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their place in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Israel from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We just humbly come before you here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings 
We thank you, Lord, for our church family. We thank you for each one who's come tonight, uh, each one who has prayed, each one who has uh, uh, participated. Each one of us, Lord, has put in our hearts and our worship. And I just pray here tonight that you would just continue to move and to bless your people here. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just be glorified in everything that is done here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way and your will in our midst here. God, I don't know our hearts. I really don't know what each one stands in need of. Uh, I, I, and I definitely don't know what's best in all circumstances. But you do. There's nothing hidden for you. There's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing you don't understand, nothing that you do not see. And so, Lord, my prayer tonight is, is that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you would just have your way and your will in our midst tonight. Lord, that you would move by your sweet Holy Spirit. God, that you would reveal yourself to us here tonight. Lord, my prayer is, is that your words here tonight, Lord, that they wouldn't fall on deaf ears, but we would have ear to hear what you would say to us by your Spirit. And we would let your words take root in our heart, Lord. And Lord, that they would begin to grow and transform us from the inside out into the image of your Son. And so, Lord, my prayer tonight is is that you would just have your way and your will in our midst. God, that they wouldn't be anything that would stand in the way. Lord, if there's a single one of us, if we're letting a thought, if we're letting anything distract us from you and from our worship of you, Lord, bring it to our attention right now, Lord, so we can repent of it. Get it out of the way, Lord, so that we can focus on you and you alone. So, Lord, I'm just praying here tonight. Have your way and your will in our midst, in our service. I'm asking that you'd preach me one more time here tonight, and I'll give you the glory for it, all the glory for it. Lord, because I can't do it without you. i got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So, Lord, I'm asking for your anointing here tonight. Lord, just clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to speak tonight. Lord, my heart's desire is for everyone to leave here tonight, knowing that they have heard from you. And Lord, that it would be from my spirit to theirs. So God, have your way and your will. And above everything tonight, if there is any here that's backslidden, any that's lost and undone, don't know for sure where they stand with you. If there's any that's maybe just growing cold, any that's not sure. God, let today be the day. Let today be the day that they get things right with you. That they leave here with the assurance that they can have and can know that they're yours. That they're on their way to heaven. So God, I'm just asking, do what only you can do here tonight. And we'll give you all the glory for it because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. What did I say? No, Egypt, sorry. The reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. I was going to read verse 9 again here in a little bit anyway, so... By the third time, I'll get it right for sure. Um, I want to 
going through here. And, and like I said, I, I don't 100% understand everything uh, as to why the Lord directed me here. I've got some thoughts that I want to share with you tonight. And, and really what I want to do is I want to just begin to just kind of go through these scriptures. And, and I'm going to read them all again, uh, I think, before it's over with. But I, I want to begin to work through these scriptures here Share just a few thoughts. Make sure uh, that we kind of on the same page and we get and we understand what the Word of God is telling us here. And, and so I kind of want to go through it that way before I get to, to what I think my point is of what the Lord would have me to, to talk about tonight. So as we go back and we look at this, right, we look at, at, at the first verse, right? It says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward. And all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. You see, they had just crossed over into the promised land. They had just crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Reports of God's supernatural parting of the Jordan River struck fear into the local people, into the Canaanites and the Amorites, right? The people who were living in the land of Canaan, right? Uh, they, they had the, the crossing of the Jordan River and the miracle, the supernatural miracle. And I guess I just need to hit on that again. That's kind of been the theme of the day. Jennifer mentioned it in Sunday school. I mentioned it this morning. I'm going to mention it again tonight. I'm tired of hearing uh, the, the so-called intellectuals try to explain away the miracles of God. I've heard them say before, well, there must have been a great earthquake that happened up the river a ways and dammed it up. Well, that doesn't explain yet how that muddy river bottom all of a sudden got dry. It doesn't explain how the moment of the priest's feet who were holding, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when it touched the water, that's when it dried up. As I said this morning, whenever a supernatural God it comes into and, and, and moves into and how do I want to say this or how do I say it this morning whenever he interacts with a natural world it is no longer a natural event but it is a supernatural event and so here's a supernatural event not to be explained away by natural circumstances there is a supernatural parting of the Jordan River Right, this is there. There are stones that is collected out of there that set up as a memorial. This event, the word of this, traveled throughout the land pretty quickly, and it struck fear. Right, the miracle was even more incredible and shocking to them because God done it whenever the Jordan River, it wasn't when it was about dried up and trickling through there. The Bible tells us that it was at flood stage. This came on top. So if you go back to chapter 2, you can see where they had heard about the Red Sea crossing also. And so these reports came on top, those reports. And the irony is maybe what strikes me in this first verse. The Israelites had spent 40 years 
wandering in the wilderness because they were scared of the Canaanites. And here, just word comes to the Canaanites of what Israel's God was doing for Israel. And it struck fear in the hearts of them. Makes me wonder sometimes that the Israelites, uh, Israel, they obviously did not have a clue what God could do. Oh, they should have had a clue. They should have known. They'd witnessed the mighty miracles of God, but it's like they still did not get it. Now, think about this event. Think about what has just happened, okay? They have just had this supernatural event, this miraculous crossing of the Jordan River at flood time. When it, was at, when it was flooded. The news of this event has struck, heart, uh, struck fear into the hearts of the people. Matter of fact, it said that their hearts melted, if I remember right. According to our logic, this would be the ideal time to strike, would it not? Right? They have just crossed the, they've just crossed the Jordan. The, the people of God have just seen the, a miracle of God. They are, uh, they're on the mountaintop. They are on cloud nine, however you want to say that. And so anyways, uh, the people in the land who they're going to be conquering, they've heard of this. They are running scared at this time. And our logic says, this is the time to strike. Strike sudden. Don't wait. But that's not what God had in mind. You see, there was some more important things for him to deal with first. There was some spiritual preparation that must take place. Because they weren't going to defeat the, they weren't going to defeat the city of Jericho in the natural, were they? There was another supernatural event that was going to take place then. So there were some spiritual things that had to be taken, taken place or taken care of first. So look at this next section of scriptures here, starting in verse 2. At that time the Lord uh, said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Verse 6, For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto, unto their fathers <coughs> that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey and their children whom he raised up in their stead. Them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had 
done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Now, I don't, I don't know if you followed what it was saying there. But it was, I mean, it was trying to make it clear. All the males of the first generation that left Egypt in the Exodus, right? All of them that come out of Egypt that was part of the Exodus, all the men of war, they had been circumcised. However, that generation that was circumcised that come out of Egypt in the Exodus, that's the generation that had died in the wilderness. In the next generation, right, that generation's children... That's the next generation, the ones that were born in the wilderness and had been raised in the wilderness, they had not been circumcised. Therefore, what he's saying, he's something he's having to get taken care of first, is it was necessary to circumcise them, especially before they celebrated the Passover, which they're getting ready to do here in just a minute, because the original instructions given for the Passover had emphasized the importance of circumcising all males that were going to participate before they participated in the ceremony. Now, the circumcision, <coughs> it marked Israel as God's covenant people. When God made uh, the original covenant with Abraham, that's what he required. He required that each male be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Now, so circumcision is a sign of the covenant for them. And what the circumcision meant is it meant that you were willing to believe God and to obey God and to be identified as a follower of God no matter uh, what the pain or what the cost. Right? I mean, I, I don't want to get too gross here, uh, but there was pain involved. That's why it says in verse 8 uh, that when they were done circumcising all the people, they stayed there in camp until they were whole, until they were healed up. And so that's part of the physical sign. But the pain, right, of being, uh, uh, to, uh, being publicly identified with God uh, is much greater than that. That is just a, a sign of the covenant. So they were willing to be identified with God no matter what the pain or the cost. When I look at that and I'm trying to see what that means to us and what that represents and what that symbolizes for us today, I think how baptism is a sign of the new covenant, the covenant that we have with, uh, with God. Um, let me read to you what it says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking, wonder how many today would be willing to believe God and follow Christ no matter what the cost. I come across this story that I want to read to you. Um, it was just given to me, I assume it's a true story. I have no idea. 
Um, the point I'm reading it to you, though, is, is the point that it makes. It says, sometime back, a retired missionary dropped by our church. She had served faithfully in Africa. And one day she happened upon a small uh, baptismal service. A fellow missionary took three new converts to the center of a shallow river and dug a hole in the sand so there would be enough water for the baptism. Even then, the new believers were forced to set in the sand so, they would, so that there would be enough water to cover them for this important ceremony. The missionary who was telling the story saw what she had expected to see. A few friends and family members gathered to watch, and the missionary in the river raised his hand, repeating the familiar scriptures that we use there in Matthew 28, and baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. before baptizing the converts. When the first convert came up out of the water, he began an excited and joyful time of shouting. The quiet service was silent no more. The second convert did the same. And then the final, the third one, the final convert also came up from the shallow water shouting with joy. Afterwards, the missionary watching the process asked about this unusual tradition. Why all the shouting? The other missionary responded and said, I haven't been able to completely communicate in this tribe's language. They heard the scriptures that I gave them, talking about the ones they use to teach baptism, uh, the ones I read to you in Colossians and the ones in Romans where it talks about being buried with Christ in death. They heard the scriptures that I gave them, but they did not understand the symbolic nature of it. And when I told them that they would be buried with him through baptism into death and raised to walk in newness of life, they actually thought baptism would kill them. He chuckled, or we chuckled, as we heard the story until the missionary froze us with her gaze. Let me ask you a question, she said. If you thought baptism would kill you, would you be willing to get in the river? I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> How many of us would be willing? How many of us would be willing to be identified with Christ, no matter what the cost or the pain? Let's just be honest. It don't really cost us a whole lot here right now, does it? A little bit of time, right? You're here tonight. That's time, right? You could have been somewhere else. If you were lost, you probably wouldn't be here tonight. You might have lost a few friends, right? You might have had a few friends or family members that they don't want to be around you. They don't want to have anything to do with you anymore because of who you are and what you represent. And also maybe some of the things that you don't want to do anymore that you used to do before you were, you were saved. But really, when we think about it in the scheme of things, these, these, these Africans that had just gotten saved, they thought that it was actually going to cost them their lives. We go over into 
other parts of the world where there's real hostility towards Christianity. And when and you do something like this, you get, you get baptized, you get publicly identified as a follower of Christ. Well, that means that it is going to be your life, right? There, that's against the law in many places and, and punishable by death. I worry sometimes about how how easy our Christianity and how easy our faith is here in the country and the culture. I mean, we're blessed to live here, but yet whenever you have everything handed to you and everything is so easy, what happens if you never make your kids work for a thing and everything is handed to them, right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I think we don't realize what it costs. So anyways, to go on with our, our scriptures here in verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The rolling away of the reproach of Egypt is talking about the rebellion of the previous generation, right? The previous generation of Israel that caused them to die in the desert. And because the, this new generation of Israel, right? Because this new generation had followed the covenant and had been circumcised, they could now enter the promised land, right? The old generation couldn't do that, but they could, right? And they could leave behind forever, the disgrace of, of what had happened with the previous generation and things behind them. And then when we go here and we look at verse 10, it says, and the, the children and the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn, Let me stop there for a minute. Look at verse 10 again. I read farther than what I wanted to. Kept the Passover. This Passover was the first one to be celebrated in the promised land. Uh, God had specifically told them, you can look that up in Exodus 13, 5. He'd specifically told them when they entered into the, Pass or into the promised land, they would observe the Passover. If you go back and look, and, and I had a discussion about this just a while ago, if you go back and you look, we only have recorded three times that the Passover has been observed so far. We have the original when they're in Egypt, that we have that recorded, them keeping the Passover then when God first institutes it. We have them keeping the Passover at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, after they've been there, you know, like 10 months, and so they're getting ready to leave. We see them observing the Passover, and it's recorded, it's documented that they, that they observed it then, which I'm speculating is a, is a year, right? It's the first anniversary, it's a year after the first time they kept the Passover. But then as you go through here, the scriptures, you have no other time, is not recorded any other time that they kept the Passover until here, 
39 years later or whatever the case would be. This celebration was supposed to remind them of God's mighty miracles that had brought them out of Egypt. I don't know, and this is what the discussion I had was about, I don't know, did they not observe it for the last 38, I guess it would be 38 years, did they not observe it? Or did they observe it and has not recorded anywhere? If that's the case, why would they keep that part of the law but they did not circumcise their children. See, that's the thing I'm wanting to get at here. None of the children that was born during this time was circumcised. They didn't circumcise any of them. Joshua had to circumcise all of them before they went in. What is taking place and what I'm reading about right here is the observance they have observed the Passover, they have circumcised the people, and they have observed the Passover. The Lord is calling the people back to the basics of the relationship with Him, right? There, is some, uh, there are some things that are getting right here spiritually that is getting right. And both of these things had been neglected in the wilderness. That's, the, that's how I'm reading it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they observed it and it just wasn't uh, recorded. But then why didn't they circumcise any of their children? It just seems like here uh, that, they, that they have not this whole time. They have just neglected it. And that fits. That fits with what we know about this generation that died in the wilderness. Look at verse 11 and 12, and then I'll get to what I need to talk to, you about, talk to you about tonight. Verse 11 says, And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither have the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You know, God had supplied them with manna. Uh, to the, the hundred years of the lights have been supplied with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. And the, man, and the manna had been all... You know, think about it. The old generation is dead now. The generation that knew the garlic and the leeches and the, and the quail, right? That generation is dead. They're gone. This new generation has known nothing but the manna of God. Now... Now they were going to begin to eat from the food of, the new, of this new land, of the promised land. And then, because they were no longer going to need God's manna. Right? God had miraculously provided food for, for them while they were in the wilderness. But now they would eat the fruit of the land. The land flowing with milk and honey. So, what do I want to get at here? What is it that I think needs to be brought out here well as I mentioned already this first generation the ones that died in the wilderness they had been characterized by disbelief they had refused to trust God this next generation they had the chance for that to be completely turned around and completely changed they had the chance to be characterized by faith. That's what God had intended. The new um, generation of Israel, they did not initially 
possessed the sign of circumcision, but that wasn't because of their own doing. The way I read it, that's due to the failure of their parents, the generation before them. Because of it, as we read this, they're not suffering the guilt of it, the guilt of their parents. Their parents is, I guess, disbelief. That's how the Bible characterizes them all through Old and New Testament. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's what I'm thinking about. We have an entire generation today that's not raised their children in church. We have an entire generation that I would characterize as a generation of disbelief. We have an entire generation. I mean, this is the ones that are, that are now coming into and are in control of everything. Look what is on the television. Look what is taught, right? Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn. We have this, we have this entire generation. This generation that is not uh, telling their children about the Lord. That is not, uh, that doesn't even believe in the blessings of God, yet they're living in the midst of the blessings of God. Does that make any sense to you at all? There's an entire generation that is not following the command of God, that is not, it appears to me, not really raising their children. And I know you may have thought of this different. You may still think I'm wrong on this. I'm just laying out what the Scripture says, and I have no other explanation for why they didn't observe the Passover, why they didn't observe, why they didn't circumcise their children, why, why it is, I mean, I don't know. I don't have another explanation. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is, this is an entire generation, right, that is, that is, characterized by disbelief while they are living, right? They're eating the manna of God every day, right? Their shoes are not wearing out, right? They have cried, God has delivered them out of Egypt, right? The mightiest nation on the face of the earth. At that day and time, a bunch of slaves walked out of there. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. God fed them every day with manna from heaven. This is a generation. Generation of disbelief living in the midst of the blessings of God. Church, look around you. Look around you. Can you think of a better way to describe the land that we live in but as a land flowing with milk and honey? Do you think for a second that we are where we are because of our own ingenuity and our willingness to work hard? You haven't believed that garbage, have you? That's what they've been telling us. That's what they've been cramming down our throats for, for so long, right? Well, now it's starting to change. Now we stole it all from the Indians. Look, I don't mean to offend anybody, but they hadn't done a whole lot with what was here before. Listen, do you know what the difference is? I don't mean to put down any people, any group of people or anything like that. I'm not looking to trash anybody, but I guess I am. What I'm trying to say is the only reason we got what we got and where we are, that we are where we are 
is because of the blessings of God. We're living in a land flowing with milk and honey. We're living in it in the midst of it and reaping it. Has there ever been a time in history like the one we live in today? There is such a flow of money, such a flow of resources, such an abundance of food, and such an abundance of uh, uh, whatever you might desire, whatever you might need or think you need, and the things you don't need. And, we've, and we have an entire generation that have completely forgotten about God. Not raising their children. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to compare them not having circumcised their kids with what, what we've done in the state that we're in right now. There hadn't ought to be enough churches in Mountain Grove to hold all the people that come out to worship God. I wish Molly was here again tonight and have her show some of those pictures again tonight. By the grace of God is the only reason why your home don't look like those homes look. By the grace of God is the only reason that you and I aren't in the same position that those people are in. Here's the thing. This new generation, right? God wasn't holding the sins of the, of the previous generation against them. They had a chance. Now, that's a whole other story and a whole other sermon what the, with that, and I don't intend to get into that tonight. But I can't help but think about, we look at how far gone things are, and if you're like me, you just want to throw up your hands and give up, right? It's too far gone, right? The, the course is too far off to ever be corrected. Right, the, the ship has took on too much water for it to ever float again. It's safe. Baby's going down. It don't matter what you do. But I think when we think like that, aren't we thinking wrong? Aren't we putting our trust in the wrong place? Or what we're doing is saying, in my strength and your power and what I realistically know people will do, we can't ever fix this thing. Right? We're not even thinking about what it is that God can do. You know, God gives them a land flowing with milk and honey, one with vineyards already planted, houses already built. It was a turnkey deal. It wasn't, I've got a land rich with resources, and if you go in and you're smart enough and you work hard enough, you can make something out of it. Well, something was already made out of it. God said, here you go. I'll give you a quick example, and I don't want to get too far away from the Scripture, but I want to make my point. I've heard all my life how we are in some ways subservient to the Middle East because of their oil reserves. And here, you know, we just we got a little bit in Oklahoma and Texas, Arkansas, but we don't have much. And then a few years ago, you know what they did? They discovered more oil on the ground in North Dakota than all of the Middle East together has. Yeah. 
think we're forgetting about God in all of this. And here's what I'm really thinking about, and here's what I'm really trying to get at. I look at the, the little ones. I think especially about the ones, James, that you go and pick up. Because I know, I, I got a pretty good idea of what home is like for them, or for some of them, what home is like. But you know what? For those little ones that you go around and pick up, it don't have to be. What I'm trying to say is they don't have to make the same mistakes that their parents made. This new generation going into the promised land don't have to make the same mistakes that their parents made. They can be different. Things could be different. God desires for things to be different. Scripture makes it clear. In this case here in particular, God's eliminated the sin of the past and its influence. The New Testament makes it clear. It teaches us that God has done the same thing for us. Each one of us is responsible for our own actions. There's no one to blame but themselves. This next generation... The ones that we're trying to teach, ones that we're trying to train up, they don't have to make the same mistakes that their parents did. What their parents did and do, and their grandparents, and so on and so forth, that does not have to determine what they do. And I can't help but think, that God wants to use us. Now I'm getting real personal, Cornerstone, because I'm not talking about hypothetical church in general, those people in that town. I'm talking about you sitting here in the pew tonight. Cornerstone. I think God wants to use us. I think God wants to use us to make a difference in those kids' lives. We look at the decline that's going on in the church world right now. We look at the falling away from Christianity. We look at the statistics, right? I heard some of that uh, this last week, some of the statistics of how many people identify as believing in God and how many people to identify as Christians and, and how much that has changed in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? I heard several comparisons there. We look at that. Right, And there's a lot of those people that would claim to be Christians that we wouldn't even agree with that they really are Christians. But just stop for a minute, though. We see the same thing in our pews, right? You look around at the churches, right? The churches that are established and been here, you see any of them with more people than what they had 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or 50 years ago? Do you see? There, there's not even more people here today or tonight than what there was uh, three or five years ago. It's obvious it's obvious the direction that we see in the falling away that we see taking place right now. And the devil wants you to believe that, it, that there is no turning it around. 
that there is no change in it, that the next generation will be worse than the last generation. I'm telling you that according to God, that's not how it works. So, what are you willing? What are you willing to do to make sure that it's, that it, that this generation is not worse than the next? That this generation is not more ungodly than the previous generation? Are you willing to follow God? Right? Be identified, believe in God, be identified with Christ, no matter what the cost or the pain? Are you willing to sacrifice your time, your money, your whatever it's going to take? Are you willing to to pour your heart out and, and to put everything you've got into something and not be appreciated for it the way that you think that you ought to be appreciated for it? Are you willing to do whatever it's going to take to make sure that this next generation, that they know about God? They know about the blessings. They know to, to whom deserves the, the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that we enjoy, that we have. Sometimes I think that we would just rather sit around and gripe and complain about how things are and how we see them going than actually get out there and be the hands and the feet of God and do something about it. Jennifer, will you come? I told you this wouldn't be normal, wouldn't be typical. I don't know how the Lord might be dealing with you tonight. I don't know what your need might be. Maybe God's dealing with your heart about something. Maybe there's something that you need to be praying about. Maybe God has put somebody on your heart that you need to You need to go and just show them the love of God. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to ask you to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? You got a need, you got a burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it is, would you come tonight? Would you come?